Hello, and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. That's right, you're stuck with me today. It's the Cole Donaldson Show. Elizabeth is up in freezing, or I hope it's freezing, Minneapolis, leaving me all alone. She's visiting our, uh, my sister-in-law, her sister, and their new uh, niece. I guess not new anymore. She's about a little over a year old, so just getting into that age where she's learning her first words and she's walking or scooting more like uh, I get all the all the cute videos on our group text so she's enjoying that while I'm here going to school slaving away on our podcast of course Uh, but we are going to make the most of it today because we have an awesome interview with Julian and Connor, who are a couple of uh, young, just high school graduates that we met along the trail, and you're going to hear their story. It's really cool how they just had such a go-for-it attitude and proved that neither age nor money is any obstacle. So it was great talking to them, great catching up, and hearing some of their stories, because they got up to some shenanigans for sure, as I know I would have if I was hitting the road for 10 months, seeing 49 national parks in the lower 48 um, with one of my best friends. So you will really enjoy uh, this interview, and here we go. How did we meet you guys? Uh, we met in Florida, down in the Everglades, and uh, Julian saw your little like magnets on your car, and like right before we went on like a nature walk with the rangers, and we like kept like trying to figure out who in the crowd it was. We were like, hmm, not, it doesn't look like it would be them, but like maybe them. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And then we got back to the car after the hike. And we saw you guys right next to us because we ended the hike at the same time. And then yep. you mentioned to us, like, hey, are you actually doing Are you guys 59? the switchback kids? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we loved running into you guys there. Um, and you guys, being Julian and Connor, our famous guests for the episode. Um, <laughs> and we met in Everglades. How did you guys like the Everglades, by the way? Oh, <laughs> lots, lots of bugs. Oh, so so we weren't the only ones being, you know, sucked no. dry by bugs. Huh? We were attacked, but the the wildlife there was absolutely astounding. Yeah, yeah. I kind of discovered a passion for photography on the, on that trip. So you, Connor, you are the main photographer. Yeah. So like, I okay. take the photos, and then like Julian would do like some editing, and then we put them on the blog. What is that blog right off the bat? Uh, it's just a collection of photos and like a our story. Basically, we like 
decided to make it for our families and like just to like spread the word about our trip. It's okay. uh, JulesTheConman.tumblr.com. So yeah, just to give a proper introduction, why don't you guys tell people, you know, who you are, where you're from, um, just about yourselves. Sure. Um, I I'll go first, I guess. Um, okay. I'm, I'm Julian, uh, and I, I'm best friends with Connor, and we're both from uh, North Andover, Massachusetts, and we graduated high school together. Uh, and in the months before our graduation, during the end of the whole getting into colleges and picking the right college, uh, Connor and I started to joke around, like, you know what? Yeah, we'll we'll take a year off and we'll do something really cool. And then that that sort of joke became a reality, and we started planning, and we decided to go on a road trip to uh, 49 national parks in the lower 48 states only. We like decided, we were joking about it like way earlier than the first month. We were joking about it like beginning of senior year. We were like, ha, yeah, gap year. Well, that's totally something we'll do. <laughs> but then like, as like things like started to come up and like we were both like, ooh, college, yikes. We were just like, yeah, that, that's actually like something feasible we could do. Mm -hmm. So we like started coming up with like a plan, had to convince our parents yeah, yep. how did those conversations go? First, first the parents, and then your. What did your friends think? I well, think... some of our friends almost took a gap year with us. One of our friends who went off to like art school, it was like, yeah, I'll take a gap year with you. But then he like got into this school, and he was like so excited about school. He's like, actually, I want to go to school now. Mm -hmm. Lame. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did our our like core group of friends though. Um, another. A uh, friend of ours, Sean, ended up taking a gap year, um, and he went on a Rotary International Youth Exchange. Uh, so, like, the Rotary Club that is in a lot of towns, um, they do a youth exchange from uh, the U.S. out to a bunch of different countries. And Sean went to Hungary, and he did 10 months uh, living with a host family in Hungary and going to school there and going on tours of Europe. In general, our group of friends was very pro-gap year, and that's a really cool idea, and I can't believe you guys are going for it. So we had, we had a really supportive friend group. That was something I wanted to ask you about, because... Nobody I knew from my high school took a gap year. You know, I went to school here in St. Louis, Missouri. So mm -hmm. maybe it's more of a coast thing. Or do you just think that more uh, graduates these days are taking something like a gap year and just, you know, exploring the world before getting down to college? Well, it's, uh, it's really popular in private schools nowadays. Okay. And there's like a big program where you can like, they off, oftentimes have like gap year fairs where they have like all these different programs you can join on, which can be like, like they can cost a pretty penny though. Um, so like when we, when we were trying to do a gap year, we didn't have any of like those resources because we went to like a, a public school. So like our guidance counselor was like a gap year, what's that? Yeah. We had to figure it out ourselves. 
And how did you figure it out? How did you decide on the national parks? Um, <laughs> I think I think just because they're such iconic locations and they're made relatively accessible. Um, there's information about them online and they are some of the coolest places in the country. So it's it's pretty easy to see a picture and say, wow, I want to go there and see that and do that trip. And so they're, they're very, it's a nice mixture of attainability and just like pure desire of seeing some cool thing like a collection of federally preserved parks and just being like yeah let's go there yeah we had both been like outdoors people for like pretty much all of our lives and then like in high school we were definitely inspired by like jack kerouac with like on the road and like dharma bums we wanted to like see america really then uh, since you mentioned just seeing america was it what you expected i think (laughs) if you if you put it in in the like what do you think you're going to get if you take a road trip with your friends to all uh, or as many national parks as you can get to if you put it under that sort of lens then i think we we definitely got what we were expecting in the best sort of way cuz we we both probably went into it with the the idea of like yeah this is going to be awesome i don't really know what it's going to be like but i know that it's going to be really cool and we're going to have a really cool experience and we definitely got that so you never you never told us about your parents yeah we did it we did it in chunks so it was it was like three and a half months at the beginning and then we came back for the holidays and then our second leg was almost five months i think yeah so it wasn't as daunting from the parental perspective as a full year but it was still it was definitely something to to be worried about as a parent i think but both my parents and connor's parents were really supportive as long as they knew that we had a plan and we did a whole bunch of planning yeah, tell me about that a little bit. How- um, most of the time, <clears throat> Julian would just, like, come over to my house. We'd, like, go into, like, the computer room, just, like, sit down for a couple hours, be like, okay, where do we want to go? And then, like, try and find, like, the optimal route to get all of that. And it definitely took some, like, thinking, like, because we knew we'd be going into the fall and then, like, getting into the colder seasons. So, like, as, like, we started getting nearer to winter, we started going south then came back home for like the boot of the winter months and then like we went out west for the summer for the second leg and like we tried to keep the schedule like pretty loose we like just set like the next destinations and like not keep like a tight time frame Mm -hmm. so we'd still have the freedom of being on the road now one of the huge things in our planning was the budget and i remember i was really impressed by you guys, when you talk to us about your budget, do you mind sharing a little bit about that part? Yeah, yeah. so for like the like full nine months, it cost us about like six and a half thousand dollars between the two of us. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so very, very cheap. How did how did you make that work? A shit diet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, I will say when we, you know, met you guys for the first time, you were in the process of making your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yep. Yep. Just like I think we did right after you pulled out of the parking lot. (laughs) Yeah. Two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a day keeps the doctor away. (laughs) Did that ever take a toll, that, that kind of diet? Not I think, really. I think, yeah, I think since we are both teenage boys with high metabolisms and <laughs> optimistic spirits, like it, it never, it never hurt us too bad. Especially since the the hiking and camping lifestyle that we were living and that you guys were living is very calorie intensive. Yeah. And so I think pretty much whatever we ate. What, like 15 minutes later <clears throat> ended up on a 20 mile backpacking trip you know <laughs> and and so i i think the our metabolism and also the lifestyle definitely played a role in our ability to eat a lot a lot worse than we should um wait, that was probably one of our like bigger sacrifices budget wise because we were living on $12 a day for food for the both of us right Connor yeah it was like six bucks each for the day and Um, how did you do campgrounds and stuff did you stay in the park a lot or did you go outside did you have to get creative uh, we got creative we tried to stay in the park most of the times at least one night to like get the full experience Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times we try and get like backcountry permits because either they're like really cheap or they're either free. Or they're free, yeah. But like yeah. if a campsite in like the national park was like full or like really expensive, we just like Google like free campsites and then like find this. We found this website like freecampsites.net <laughs> and they'd have like all these like crazy cool like free campsites nearby and we just pull up into one of those on like a sketchy dirt road in our Prius. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Did you ever have any weird experiences with that, or were you ever scared for your lives? There there were a couple of campsites that definitely weren't really campsites. <laughs> um, most of them worked out pretty well, uh, but there were times where we would be driving out of a parking lot, and then we would see a property management truck rolling into the parking lot, and we'd just maybe push on the gas a little bit harder. <laughs> There were there were a couple of interesting exchanges uh, in Walmart parking lots when we spent overnights there. Because not all of them allow overnight, do they? <clears throat> yeah, and we we found that out uh, later rather than sooner, and we got <laughs> we got kicked out of one, and so we spent the night at a Home Depot across the street. I mean, it, we felt like we had to really sacrifice and make cutbacks um, and live, you know, uncomfortably really on our budget, which was twenty thousand for the year. Uh, and I can't imagine seven thousand <laughs> is just an awesome figure. But did it ever like really? Did, were you constantly thinking about it, or was it? ever super stressful or did it ha- cause you to have to really sacrifice a lot during the trip um i think i like i really loved like the rough it lifestyle that we had yeah. going 
and we definitely learned how to live with that budget on the second leg because we definitely learned from our mistakes on the first leg where we eat like a thousand calories a day because I'd be like the budget uh, stickler. <laughs> yeah. Which one of you was the the stickler? Was it you, Connor? Yeah, okay. definitely. <laughs> that would definitely be me in our in our twosome. So. Connor Connor was the man with the little notebook that we kept in in the glove compartment and every purchase of gas or an oil change or groceries that would go in the book and then at the end of the week we'd tally that up and at the end of the month we'd tally that up and we'd make sure that we were splitting everything pretty evenly like right down the middle yeah and we both came out with it with a little little bit of money to spare so it was nice yeah yeah because i thought i when i talked to you all that you had said your budget was eight thousand which i still thought was incredible um so you did you really undershoot or you, you came in under budget? We did. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. When we were budgeting, I think we did a pretty good job having a large safety net, too. And so we just, like, had all of that uh, buildup from not using the safety net. And then we were able to have a summer that we could just, like, relax and not have to worry about being broke. <laughs> So how was the dynamic throughout the trip between the two of you? Obviously best friends, but going on something like this can test like the best relationships mm-hmm. as Elizabeth and I definitely saw. I, even, <laughs> even something like money, you know, if, if one person is more of a stickler than the other, that for us caused a lot of tension. Um, yeah. How did that go? Um, I think the budget wasn't too much of a thing for us. Like, it was probably, like, at moments. And definitely, again, like, the first leg, we, like, definitely had some, like, passive-aggressive moments where we'd just, like, go to sleep in, like, really tense silence. But <laughs> yeah. on the second yeah. leg, it was, like, it was a lot better. Like, we, like, learned how to, like, to, like love to live with each other. Yeah. all I think <clears throat> most of our conflicts remained pretty small and more often than not they were about uh how hungry we were and sort and our like activities for the day and not necessarily how we worked with each other Mm -hmm. and and most of our arguments were um or or our, our like passive aggressive stints were pretty productive because you you know that at the end of the night, you're getting into a tent, and it just so happens to be the tent that is sitting in the back of the car that hasn't been set up yet. And you're still upset at the person that you're sleeping in that tent with, but you still have to set up the tent, even if it's just for you. And then by the end of it, like, dinner's cooked, there's fresh water in the jug, the tent's set up, and the sleeping pads are blown up, and you're like, oh, I wasn't really that mad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, looking back, you know, now on your whole trip, do you have any moments that really stood out as defining moments of the trip? It's it's so hard to to find just like one moment of the trip that's that's defining. There, I mean, there were so many like physical struggles where we were just like working really hard to get to the top of a mountain. 
or to get out of the Grand Canyon. And there was emotional strain. And there was just like utter joy when you get to the top of a mountain or see the like Bryce Canyon, except you know that you drove yourself there. I think that's actually a good one. Is Connor and I had both been on vacations out west with our families before. And we had both been to Bryce Canyon, Zion, and the Grand Canyon. And so those three things we had all seen uh, before, but we had seen them with our families and when we were younger. And so when we got there independently, like we drove the car to these places and we paid for the gas with our own money and we, we did it completely independent of our families. There was a new appreciation for the location and a new appreciation for ourselves and our independence and the journey as a whole, I think. What about mm-hmm. any scariest moments? Connor, I think I think you can tell the story about Big Bend. Okay, I'll, I'll tell the story <laughs> about Big Bend if you tell the one about um, Sequoia. Okay. So Big Bend was like our, our first backpacking trip of our second leg. <clears throat> and I was like, I was like, let's go for it. So also, this was wait. like... We were coming from New England in the winter and going to southern Texas where it was like 90 degrees. Go ahead. Sorry. Within a week. It was within yeah, yeah. a week. And I, I didn't really realize the elevation that we were at. So we like decided to do like a three-day, like 35-mile backpacking trip after just like sitting on our butts all week, all winter, like working <laughs> and whatnot. So the first day, we, like, pack in, like, as much water as we can carry. We have, like, camelbacks full, like, three water bottles each. We make it to our campsite at the first day. It was, like, 12 miles. And there was, some, like, crazy, like, animal noises. I think they were, like, javelinas, maybe. Mm-hmm. They were, like, freaking us out. <laughs> but also, like, we ran out of water by the end of the time by the end of that day so like our next day we like woke up like scrounged like a little bit of water for like our oatmeal in the morning (laughs) then hiked like onwards because we were like okay let's just keep going and then eventually we started to get dehydrated or like i started to get dehydrated julian was prepared (laughs) for the uh, for the, the desert whatever he had like his face garb his like long sleeve long pants i'm here like without sunscreen like t-shirt and shorts getting sunburned to a crisp because <laughs> you're not like the the tannest to start with no <laughs> i was very pale and was there any water along the route at all? oh yeah there was on our probably like two miles in uh, we overheard a couple that was on the way down and they were talking to another group that was headed up and they said something like, oh, that's the most water I've seen up there uh, this whole year. That's crazy. And so we heard that and we we already had a bunch of water on our backs, but it was nice to hear that. And so we were optimistic, like, yeah, nice. We're not even going to have to worry about water. And then that that second day rolled along. Yeah, so we had to cache water as well before the uh, before the backpacking trip, 
it was like near the last the end of the second day we like go to this water cache and like get our like two gallons of water that we cached there but that second day we had run out of water like pretty early in the day and like we were really well julian was really worried i didn't really realize the situation at the time and i was just like yeah we got this we're fine <laughs> and so we eventually stumble upon this another water cache that you had to have like jeep four-wheel drive clearance to get to so thankfully we got some water there we filled up our camelbacks and our water bottles and then the rest of the day we were in this open exposed desert like middle of the day like 90 degree heat just like totally dying so by the time we got to the second or our water cache when I tried to take a sip of water, like I nearly just threw up because I was so dehydrated, and Julian was just like, "Oh boy, that's not good." <laughs> it was it was a nice dance with death death in the desert. Yeah, that was definitely like our biggest mistake that we made on a backpacking trip, though. Okay, so in Sequoia, um, we had a backpacking trip planned that was just a one night overnight, and it was. Uh, pretty short it was six miles to the campsite for the night and it was just an out and back so we'd be doing the six the same six miles on the way back down and we were going up to pear lake um which is this beautiful alpine lake at the top of a mountain in the sequoias and you hike through the sequoias and then you get up to alpine territory and they're just these really clear lakes and really nice views. Uh, and it was a trip that both of us were really looking forward to because it was pretty short and just sounded really rewarding and nice. And the day that we uh, were planning on heading out, we checked the weather and we saw that at 6,500 feet, which is where the ranger station was, um, there was rain forecasted. And, and we, we knew, like, okay, yeah, that, that will normally mean that at 9,000 feet, uh, which is where the destination was, there's going to be some snow, but it doesn't look like the rain down here is going to be too heavy. We've hiked in the rain before. We've hiked in the snow before. It should be fine. It's only six miles. And with that attitude, we left the parking lot at maybe, like, three in the afternoon we had a nice day in the park and did some shorter trails and saw some of the famous trees and then we headed out sort of as the backpacking trip being the the end of the day activity and we did the first mile or two with no problem um and then the trail started getting steeper and snow started showing up and it went from rain and mud to snow and hail and this sort of sleet mixture uh and since we were up at 9,000 feet um the clouds were pretty low relative to us and so a lot of fog uh was rolling in and we could kind of see it initially coming in in these waves uh but at at some point it just sort of enveloped us uh so that reduced our visibility by a lot and then it started hailing pretty heavily and 
we were thinking to ourselves, okay, not not ideal weather. It could have this could have been nicer weather, but that's okay. We'll we'll handle it. We'll get to the we'll get to the lake. That'll be fine. And we got up to the top of the mountain at maybe nine and a half thousand feet, and then we were supposed to go down five hundred more with the last mile and a half of the trip. And uh, in in that last mile and a half, we have to <coughs> circumnavigate. A couple of different alpine lakes that aren't uh, Pear Lake, but they're smaller and less pretty, so they're not like the destination lake. And we got to what we think was the first lake, uh, but we couldn't tell because at that point on the trip, um, the snow that we were hiking on top of was anywhere from 2 to probably like 10 or 12 feet deep. And we were post-holing in it, and our, our legs were going a couple of feet down, and it was slick snow because it hadn't been uh, super cold temperatures. And so all in all, not that great. Connor and I were just wearing hiking pants. We didn't have snowshoes or anything. Um, and then we we got to this flat flattened-out area where there weren't too many trees, and there were sort of some puddles around us and we were walking through that for a little bit and then we realized oh we might be walking on top of a lake right now hold on where'd the trail markers go and and about that point in time we also heard thunder for the first time and saw a little bit of lightning and that's when we knew okay so sequoia national park has some of the taller trees in the world and there's there's a thunderstorm and it's hailing really hard now and <laughs> i don't know i don't really know where the trail went um maybe we should set up camp here tonight and so we we laid out the tarp to set up our tent and we were ready to try to set up the tent uh but once we had pulled the tent out of my pack the tarp which was one of those blue, typical tarp color tarps, um, was practically white from the like the rate of the hail. Um, so it was almost completely covered, and we looked at each other like, okay, maybe we'll just wait it out because we're just gonna have a really wet hail-filled tent if we try to set up right now. So we'll just hang out for a little bit, and we hung out and considered our options and we decided that probably the best bet was to turn back and hike the like four and a half miles or so that it was back down to the parking lot and then we could sleep in the parking lot or find a campground or something like that that's also because like the uh the thunder and lightning became like a lot louder and a lot closer Mm -hmm. so we were just like yikes metal (laughs) tent not the best idea around these dead tall trees so on our on our way back, um, we we found the trail again, and we were going back. Uh, and one of my favorite things about navigating in the snow is that sometimes it can be pretty hard to get lost because you have a trail of footsteps to follow. And we were some of the only people on that trail that day, so we we had a pretty good chance of getting the right set of footsteps. And uh, the it was snowing and hailing fast enough and the fog was coming in fast enough that 
those footprints were getting filled in, and the fog was preventing us from seeing any footprints in the distance. Uh, and also the trail markers were pretty high up in the trees and they were sort of old uh, and we were having a hard time seeing them and so we lost the trail once and then we had to like find a starting point and we spiraled out from that starting point until we found footsteps and we had to do that two more times on the way down while we were like finding and losing the trail uh, all the time like the whole time just with these terrible weather conditions. And once we were confidently back on the trail and most of the way back down, it was probably six or seven o'clock at night. Um, so it was getting pretty dark and we were most of the way back and we saw uh, a girl in like full Alpine gear, like wearing skis um, and skiing up the mountain with like an alpine pack and ski goggles and we said hey just just so you know it's pretty rough up there i don't know if you'll wanna uh get to where you're going it's a little sketchy you might want to just turn around but it's up to you and she said oh no i'm good i'm fine this is all right i have to uh i have to get to a wedding tomorrow <laughs> and it turns out that had we have made it to Pear Lake, uh, we would have been uninvited guests at somebody's wedding uh, because they, they had like a small marriage up in the mountains in Sequoia National Park and the uh, minister for the wedding was skiing up the mountain as we were bailing off. Yeah, I wonder what she thought of you guys. Definitely didn't know how underprepared we were for that trip. One of the things we always were reminded of is you cannot, for one second, underestimate the weather or just the conditions in general, because the one time you do, you'll get in trouble. Um, yeah. And, and we yeah. ran into that, you know, not too often, but definitely a couple times. Uh, and water, too. Uh, the other thing besides underestimating weather is water is, you know, your life. So you can't yeah. mess around with that. And we definitely came also too close uh, a time or two. <laughs> so that's awesome. I know we could talk. I'd love to talk stories, swap <laughs> stories from the parks all day. But uh I want to hear, you know, before we wrap up, like, just how this trip affected you. Connor, you should go first because I just talked for a long time. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> um, it kind of gave me something to aspire to um, because, like, I want to live my life in, like, a way that I can have those experiences pretty regularly. So, like, it gave me, like, my first taste of freedom coming from, like, this uh, this educational treadmill that we talk about so much where you go from, like, 12 years of school into another four years of school and then probably into grad school. And it just kind of, like, gave me a break from that and it exposed me to so many different things and alternative lifestyles, like, volunteering at organic farms or, like, wolf sanctuaries in Colorado. Um 
and I kind of like want to live my life at least for a little bit as a nomad, just like seeing as much as I can because we only have so much time on the earth. And if you're not seeing as much as you can, it kind of seems like you're wasting your time. Um, so hopefully, like after I get out of college, I'll have <clears throat> a job I can travel with and I can go like live in a van, work at night and just during the day, go hike or climb all these cool places. I think it was it was definitely a boost in self-confidence um and my and connor's abilities to be self-reliant um and know what we're doing more in in a nomadic context and just in life in general i think i i feel a lot more confident uh in myself and i also know what makes me happy which is like hiking and seeing the outdoors and be like being physically active and one of the reasons that i'm into food systems now is because of all of the volunteer experiences that we had um which were all at places that were really connected to the earth and they know that if they take care of the earth the earth will take care of them and i'm i'm sort of in that same camp of the earth is really great i like it a lot i'm gonna try to do my best for for the planet and hopefully it can return the favor. That's awesome. And it, just real quick, you you guys are talking about some volunteer experiences that you intersperse throughout your trip, right? Yeah, we uh, – um, oh, go for it. No, I mean like Wolfen was kind of your idea. Okay. Um, so at first um, – Although during the trip, I think Connor was more concerned financially than I was. Um, prior to the trip, I was really seeing that number of $8,000 and realizing like, wow, that, that won't even pay for one of my classes at college. How am I going to make us make that last two of us for a, a year of experience? And um, so I was looking for places we could volunteer um, be it homeless shelters or uh, farms. And my family pointed out to me uh, this organization called WOOF, uh, which stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. Uh, and it's a work-stay exchange, uh, which is ex essentially organic farms all over the world um, are in need of people to work and they don't necessarily have the money to like hire new employees um but woof gives them the opportunity to essentially put put somebody up uh be it in a spare room or in a a semi-finished shelter or a greenhouse that they that they haven't planted yet or just a tent in the yard um and the farmer feeds you and gives you a place to stay and you give the farmer uh like a essentially a a part-time job and you work for them anywhere from like four to eight hours a day and they give you food and you can have these really cool experiences and all of the people that we met who were involved with wolf um 
were really like extraordinary people who cared a lot about their farms and how they could make the world better. Uh, but we were also able to volunteer um, at a Buddhist retreat center in Tennessee, uh, thanks to Connor and his mom, yeah. and and thanks to Connor's passion for wolves, uh, we were able to volunteer at a uh, wolf wildlife sanctuary in Colorado. And both of those were some pretty cool experiences where we met really, really fantastic people. And I think just, like, volunteering is a really great way to have experiences in places that aren't labeled as, like, Grand Canyon National Park uh, or, like, Canyon de Chez National Monument. Uh, they're, they're not these places that the government sees as incredibly beautiful or particularly special um but you meet the people who are connected to these pieces of land and you realize that any land can be special as long as somebody thinks it is and like all of these farms everybody there just felt they were so connected and passionate about their land and like the experience at all of our volunteering places was they were it was just really incredible if you could say like one sentence that encapsulated a message for people just anybody out there uh who might be listening to this either about the parks or about traveling whatever uh do you you have anything you want to tell people that's a that's a tough one (laughs) I guess basically just try and reconnect with nature and live your life passionately and you'll be happier. That's a good one. I, I'm just going to go with like, take a year off. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just do it. And, and you can experience what you want to experience. And it's, it's really a time that's so different from the really structured lives that we all typically live. So you'll you'll discover some new things about yourself and probably about the world. So just take a year off. Yeah, that's a little more than a sentence, Julius. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'll think... abbreviate it as take a year off. So there you have it, the epic journey of Julian and Connor from JulesTheConMan.tumblr.com. Loved having them on the show. Thanks so much again, guys. Hope we didn't interrupt your studying too much. I know Connor was having a chemistry test, I believe, tomorrow. He's at SUNY uh, ESF in Syracuse studying environmental uh, engineering, I believe, and Julian at University of Vermont studying food systems. So just excited for them and everything they have ahead of them and all the adventures that I'm sure to come. Uh, The one great thing that we've realized is, you know, you're never too young or too old to have a a life of adventure. So We're excited to keep living that life and hopefully sharing it with you all. 
So thanks again for checking us out today. We'll be back next week talking about our top 10 wildlife sightings and encounters. So if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, find us on Facebook Facebook and Instagram, blah, 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 uh, at Switchback Kids. And you can always get more national parks, videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. We just revamped the site, so go take a look. It looks a lot better, and I'm going to stop talking before I choke on my tongue. Switchbacks out. Switchbacks out.